Sounds good, baby. I mean, could you, could you not just listen to that song all day long? Oh, put that track on a loop. Unbelievable. Guys, this is the Never Ending Glory podcast, MLB show. But really, it's, just, what it it's is. just a tribe show. There's no MLB national takes being given here. It's all about the tribe. The Cleveland Indians are American League champions 2016. It feels really, really good to say that. Hopefully we got four more wins in us, but man, what a what a ride it's been so far, guys. Hey, it's a celebration pod. Wash yourself in the cool, cool water in Lake Erie. Watch out for the debris while you're at it. That's a different pod, different subject. <laughs> hey guys, when you hear that theme song, what, what what comes to your mind first, Luke? Rube Baker with the double tag at home plate and then that sweet headline, twin killing as Indians in the middle of that nasty run, which was really unpredictable in the movie. <laughs> Tanaka going crazy. <laughs> he was a giant, you know. Uh, I got to go Willie Mays Hayes uh, actually getting on first base on opening day, taking a lead, and then getting picked off. Uh, it's not necessarily in the spirit of victory or winning, but – God, that was a great movie. Actually, both of them. Two's like severely underrated. Oh, two's great, um, but but one is is just epic. You know, Roger Dorn hitting two eighty four with I think sixteen homers and seventy four RBIs or something. Solid I memorized year. certain statistics off of that movie. I, I, I love when when the, the limo rolls up in Major League Two and Willie Mays Hayes gets out with like thirty people in his entourage. And Rube Baker asks Jake Taylor, who, who are they? Who are they? And he says, they are our center fielder. I could see Rajay doing that. That's Black Thunder. That's Black <laughs> Thunder getting in the whole limo. No, that's, Jesse Ventura was white lightning. That, yeah, that's yeah, Black Hammer, white lightning. And here's, here's how crazy the city is right now. My, my wife hates baseball, to be totally honest. Probably because she can't go three and a half hours without smoking and can't do it in the stadium. But anyways, <laughs> she, she, she texts me today. She goes, I want to watch some, uh, some major league movies. And I was totally caught off guard by that. So, wife gets one point today. Uh, she's been she, she's sitting at about zero for the month, but she's got one. And maybe she'll whip up a casserole and get double uh, get get two. To, two to. <laughs> and we all know how to get the third point, right? Hey, yeah, she's got to smoke some else. Oh, oh the trifecta, baby! <laughs> wow. You know, when I heard that theme song, too, the other thing that popped in my head was when in Major League Two, the Indians went up 3-0 in the ALCS, and then they blew the next three games and had to go to a Game 7. I was really hoping that that was not replayed in real life in this series because I don't think my stomach or my heart could take that series going back to Cleveland for Game 6 and 7. We didn't have to live through that, thank God, and we were able to kind of rest and lay low this week. This, this weekend, I should say. But uh, the Indians wrapped it up in five. I think a couple of us picked the Indians to win in seven. I don't think any of us saw us winning it in five. Pretty unbelievable. I, th- I, think, two, I think two of you had us in six. I had seven. I think Luke started off and we were a little caught off guard. Luke said tribe in six. Believe in me. That's because yeah, he was sitting on tickets to game six if it happened and it didn't work out for him. Well, and you know, I'll, and I'll say this: World Series, no yeah. it lined up. It lined up, and the reason that it, it, I really started to feel good was we were throwing basically an unknown, and our scouting and everything else. And we'll touch on some of these things throughout the pod today. But it, we did such a great job, top to bottom, organizationally, a true kind of universal win. The advanced scouting, curveball, curveball, curveball beat them with breaking balls, locate on the outside, bust them in, make kind of the, you know, paint the black. 
And, you know, Ryan Merritt was kind of a perfect example of that. Just kind of trudges through all year long, just keeps competing, competing, competing in the minors. Comes up, one start. Gosh, kind of like this kid, but he doesn't have anything overpowering, so he's not going to catch your eye. Obviously, the Blue Jays look past him, and uh, just, just a hell of a job across the board, how they prepared the kid. And it, it, it's a testament that we went into that game, and I actually felt oddly confident, truthfully, because we didn't play that bad in game four, and things were just kind of setting up again for us, the me against the world. Nobody picked the, the Indians nationally and everything else, and you could make a little bit of money in Vegas if you put some money down or, or through, a, through a book. And um, you know, some of us just happened to, to do that, and we get to celebrate doubly. Yeah, you know what a move, what a move though by Tito and 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 Chris Antonetti and those guys to have the the foresight to bring a guy like Merritt onto the roster, knowing that he's probably going to have to start a game. When you had Clevenger kind of sitting there, he was initially announced as the game four starter, which we talked about that may or may not have been some posturing there. But knowing that the Blue Jays are the type of team that will make Clevenger's life miserable because they feast on fastballs and they are free swingers that try and hit home runs. Let's bring in the soft toss and lefty who's going to throw junk and locate his pitches and make these guys try and swing for the fences against that stuff. And then you bring in a guy like Andrew Miller and Cody Allen following that, or even Brian Shaw who throws at 95-96, and what a drastic change that is to try and catch up to that heat after you're seeing you know 80-mile-per-hour you know, 73-mile-per-hour curveballs the first three, four, five innings. Oh, yeah, no question. I mean, they were de- that's definitely a, a nice dynamic there. The thing about Merritt, too, though, is I think a lot of people going into the game thought uh, with, you know, Toronto's power bats, you know, from the right side that they would just tee off a lefty. But really, other than Donaldson, they don't really hit lefties as well as you would think. A lot of them are reverse splits guys. Batista hits righties a little bit better. Tulo does. Um, so he really kept, he did a great job keeping them off balance. They said on the, uh, on the broadcast – he didn't throw a lot of curveballs in the minors. I thought he did a great job of mixing in his curve uh, and, and keeping them off balance. And then the unsung hero there is Roberto Perez, who called one hell of a game uh, for the young kid, keeping him in good spots. And, you know, Merritt threw a lot of first-pitch strikes and, and stayed ahead of the count, and, and Perez kind of did the rest, you know, making good calls there, and, and he was just dynamic. I mean, they could not have asked for a better start from him. Everywhere that Perez was lined up, you know, Merritt was thrown at there. So it was a really impressive outing from a poise standpoint. From you know just hitting your spots, executing a game plan. I mean, they couldn't have asked for anything more out of Ryan Merritt. And, well, I would I would second Perez, but expand it to the whole playoffs and really the last six or eight weeks of the season. You know, everybody kind of dogs um, him because of his average or whatnot, and you know the, the the TBS guys just completely missed the boat, didn't do any homework, and realized that he was just as good probably as Jonathan Lucroy the last six weeks of the season and in the playoffs. If it was just matched up blindly, you'd pick Roberto Perez's statistics because of the pitching staff, you know, and how he called a game and frame. But just overall, you know, Luke, you talk about Ryan Merritt. You know Shapiro and Atkins knew about it, but maybe they didn't do their full-scale homework or a guy like Shapiro who never trusted some of our minor leaguers and it always drove us crazy. We'd sign Jason Michaels and some of these stiffs. And we finally, you know, kind of turn it over to Andonetti, and he has a kind of a conscious effort to play young players that give you a little bit of pop, a little bit of life. They make mistakes, but they also can rise to the occasion sometimes and, and make legends out of the lore. So you got to give the whole front office top to bottom credit, and then the curveballs and the off speed 
My God, the Blue Jays. I was Advanced just going to say that. Just mauled that. These guys cannot hit the funny stuff. They couldn't do it. Well, and, they, and the funny thing is, is I'm not sure these other two teams can do it either from what I've seen this postseason. Well, the Blue Jays just refuse to make any kind of adjustment whatsoever in five games. I mean, it, it's just they can do one thing, and that's swing for the fences. That's it. They, they can't change their approach. The only guy that on their team that actually – had good at bats consistently was Josh Donaldson. That's it, the only guy. And there was two, there was two, maybe two and a half guys I was really scared of, and the half being Saunders. But you could pitch to him. It's just sometimes we we miss some location, and when we missed, it was he happened to be the one at the plate. I mean, I wish Hawk Harrelson was calling the games on TBS instead of the stiffs they had because he would have had a field day. The Blue Jays struck out fifty times in five games. Fifty. <laughs> five yeah. oh, and cre- credit to. Uh, Tom and American games that are that big, it, it, it it's it's got to be difficult when you don't have good stuff to just be able to trust your junk and know you know get strike one, trust trust it, getting over, especially with those with those big bats there in the batter's box. So credit to both of them for really just trusting their stuff because I'm sure that's not easy in a high pressure game like that to really trust your 80 mile an hour changeup or in Merritt's case a 74 mile on 74 mile an hour changeup. So. Credit to both of them as well. Well, that's but. another thing, too. I thought Merritt threw a lot of first-pitch strikes. He was never behind the count. No. So he was able to throw, you know, curveballs in the dirt and change up, you know, an inch or two off the plate there and, and get them to chase. And that was huge. I mean, he never pitched from behind, and he was able to, you know, Toronto, like you said, Matt, they have no approach, and they're out there just flailing, and he's up 0-2, and he's able to throw stuff, and they have no plate discipline, so they're swinging at everything. I mean, there's no reason that Ryan Merritt – I know he only came 3 but he had came three guys that first time through. He doesn't have big strikeout stuff. There's, I mean, there's no excuse for Toronto striking as much as they did, even though it was only three times. And, well, and they and they were all looking. Yeah, right, exactly. And and it's not like they were pitches that were debatable. Like Jose Canseco cried about the entire, or not Jose Canseco, Jose Batista cried about the entire series. Um, Mel- Melvin Upton Jr. first time up, hilarious. Now nah, I'm good. I'm just going to take strikes right down the middle. I'm cool. <laughs> Yeah, Merritt actually went uh, strike one to eight of the first nine batters first time through the order. Ed, Edwin Encarnacion looked confused every time they put him on camera. Did you guys notice that? Yeah. Every time he got I out. I think he pooped his pants and didn't know when he was going to be able to change him. <laughs> I mean, every called strike was like, he looks at the like, umpire like, really? Are you sure? Like, I didn't swing. It's a ball, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, oh, I mean, if you're a Blue Jays fan... You know, you're kind of at a crossroads here because Bautista's probably out of there. Encarnacion's probably out of there. And you got Tulo still for another year, and yeah. that guy looks oh. dead. Did, did he play in this series? Yeah, he threw the bat at the end. He was oh, the last out. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if he played. I, I don't remember him playing in any of the games. Yeah, he got uniforms and everything. It's great. <laughs> he was we, awful. We were worried about two guys, Donaldson and Encarnacion, unfortunately – Thanksgiving's put Tulo and Russell Martin right behind him. Russell Two Martin. Oh, outs the entire series. Russell Martin is a disaster. In the yeah, you know, we talked in our chain about that. I mean, truthfully, though, in in Gibbons' defense, you know, he's going to the well, and there's there no water there. No. Like, there's he changed nothing his line. that he, he changed do. the lineup three times. I mean, and his pitching staff actually pitched pretty well, but good Lord. I mean, the Jays don't get anybody on base. And then they try and crank homers, but they try and crank three-run homers when the bases are empty. It, it, it's just a baffling 
baffling team offensively. And how they pounded on Texas is kind of bizarre. But then you look at Texas, and they threw guys that, that throw fastballs. Yeah. And we just stuck to the book. And, you know, Kluber threw something like, you know, 30, 35 curveballs. And that's his fourth pitch. And, you know, obviously the other guys just kind of followed suit. And the bullpen guys came in, mixed a lot of stuff in. And, I mean, <laughs> is there a greater death walk than, than Andrew Miller coming in? Like, straight Grim Reaper on these fools? No, no. It's, it's Rivera-esque, really, it is. I mean, at least it has been so far this postseason. He, obviously, you can't compare the two because of the longevity that, that Rivera had, the consistency. But the dominance, the, the just the, the absolute overmatched, uh, stuff that he's been throwing out there is something I've never seen, even from Mariano. Put it this way: Cody Allen was awesome in the series, and barely is getting talked about. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing about Miller too is you guys noticed that last game they were trying to jump on him early, not yep. to strike out. He only threw twenty-one pitches and got eight guys out. Yeah, and I noticed too, even even yesterday in, in Game Five, he wasn't bringing it up there. You know, ninety-five, ninety-six. He was throwing more like ninety-two, ninety-three, and that was okay. Yeah, I mean, he was still effective. I mean, it, it just threw him off. I mean, he just. I mean, you never know what to expect from him, and his stuff is so filthy. I mean, there's no way to have any sort of approach. The only guy that hit him was Deano friggin' Navarro, who had two singles off him, and he got, you know, swung, closed his eyes and hit one in the right the first time, and then he jumped on that backdoor slider in the second at bat and hit it through the hole at short and third. But, I mean, they tried to – it's like they tried it the first time. The first couple times they faced him, they just – they got down the count and swung at crap, so then they tried to swing at him early, and they just – they didn't make any solid contact against him except the one that I thought was gone. I forget who hit it. Was it Encarnacion who hit the long fly to left off him? Uh, I can't remember. Maybe that wasn't off him. There was one fly ball yesterday I thought for sure was gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I actually think – I can't believe I'm for yeah, neglecting this because I thought it was gone too. But, yeah, I believe it was Encarnacion. I, I tell you who actually ha- I thought had a good series for Toronto was Zeke. He actually played pretty well. Yeah, in the series he did. Yeah, I agree. yeah give, give him credit. He was he was that one guy. And basically, he won Game Four for him. Yeah. Um, but he he was the one guy that was, you know, in every series a guy steps up. He he actually was game, but look no further than than Toronto's supposed horses. Jose Batista is a damn pony, and it, and he's got a bad hoof, and I put him down. Turn him into ground mill meat dog food. The sad thing is, he's about to get overpaid and be oh, out of the league in two years. Oh, yeah. Who's paying him? Texas, Look, Texas is a great candidate to sign him. No, they're not, you guys are high. There's no way the Texas Rangers are signing Joey, but Jose, whatever the hell his name is, he's no, with the bad blood on that roster. Come on, no, it's, come on. It, it has more to do with Texas' this young outfield with Gallo and. Uh, some of the other guys. I, 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 I was not being serious with that take, but his style play fits with the Rangers pretty well. I agree with that. He's 36, and he looked awful in this series. Awful. I could see three of 55 with the Yankees. And, well, he, and they're going to use it to bridge to Bryce, even though Bryce, I think, is two years. It's, um, just, it's, it's such a New York move to bring that douche into the fold. <laughs> And he is a douche. I mean, that, he's hitting left-handed in the biggest game of his life. He's hitting left-handed in BP when he's facing a soft-throwing left-hander that you can simulate in BP by grabbing any one 
you know, that probably threw or the damn pitching coach. You could stimulate a junk-throwing left-hander if you have any form of, you know, organizational talent that was an ex-pitcher. You could say, hey, you're going to come in and throw BP to us, you know, the day of the game. He's hitting freaking left-handed home runs and, and like, laughing and all jovial. You're down 3-1. to That told me all I need to know about him. He ain't a winner. He's not a competitor. Dude's a chump. Line him up, Shell. We still got it. Yeah, you got to give him the Hawk Harrelson. We we are officially saying goodbye to the Toronto Blue Jays. Where do we want to start? Joey Stop. Bats. Let's start at the top. Stop the order, Joey Bats. Josh Donaldson. Where Edmund Incarcion at? Hey, Tulo, where you at? Do, 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 do. All of them. A, B, Kevin Pillar. A, B, C, a ho. A, Darwin Barney. You couldn't even get that one out. You were busting up laughing. <laughs> Justin, <laughs> Justin Smoke. Hold on. Did he get one at that and we just, he got them? Uh, yeah, he oh. got a couple. He got a couple. How about Drake? What about Drake? Most importantly, you're crying because Rihanna gave you something and your squad's out. And how about that basketball team? They out too. Most importantly, gentlemen, Ernie Johnson. Ron Darling. Dynamic duo. Cal Ripley. The Iron Man. Oh. Sam Ryan, you too. You suck too. John Gibbons needing a players-only meeting to change his lineup. <laughs> hey, Actually, John we, Gibbons credit. He made it to game five on time because that dude looked hungover. He, he looks hungover every game. It's so awesome. He, look, he looked particularly bad, though. He never shaves. He's He looks hungover every game like he's just come off a huge bender the night before. It is so funny to watch in the dugout. I mean, give him credit, so though. He didn't make up. any excuses, though. You know, the, the rest of the team, you know, they, they – they tried to paint this picture of you know us against the world and all that crap. The fact of the matter is, you just got you just got your butt whooped by a no, team that played hard and was better. No, I agree. He he said all the right things. And I and as much as we dog Mark Shapiro, I will give him credit for coming into the clubhouse and kind of sharing a moment with Antonetti and those guys after the game. From what I read, he was pretty emotional. You know, seeing those guys have success, so that 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 was classy as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I I won't dog Shapiro. Actually, a lot of a lot of folks around the area here just he he him and and the owners are always kind of the um, you know the straw man that's created. But the fact of the matter is, and and look at leading up August and July attendance, um, there's culpability all around for the low low attendance. But uh, don't have to worry about that in the playoffs because that joint sold out, and we got hopefully uh, a couple games at least, maybe um, maybe four. That I know will be jammed, Pat. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be great, and and Tuesday is going to be ridiculous downtown because the Cavs open up that night, get their rings, get the banner, and then Game One is at the same time. So that it's going to be just think about what's happened in 2016 in Cleveland, guys. It's pretty hard to fathom that, that uh, from where we were, you know, after the finals of the NBA NBA Finals in 2015, now to where we're at now, and and what we've accomplished in that time as a city is pretty crazy. So moving forward here, guys, you know, well, well, think about this real quick. Yeah, go ahead. There are kids in Northeast Ohio that are now getting spoiled with winning. 
<laughs> yeah. like, they're literally getting spoiled. They're going to expect this to happen all the time. And trust us, for guys here in our mid-30s or early 30s, this does not happen that much. Yeah, don't paint that broad that broad brush, Sean. You can buy the broad brush for Ryan Merritt on his gift registry. <laughs> <laughs> Just for a second here, let's talk about the World Series and kind of what we can look forward to. We obviously don't know who the Indians are going to be playing. The Cubs and Dodgers are playing Game 5 as we speak, and that series is tied 2-2, so we won't really get into matching up with one of those two teams because we don't know. But for the Indians' perspective, we're going to be able to line Kluber up Game 1, which is great, and we're hopeful, hopefully Bauer will be able to go by next Friday, which would be Game 3. And hopefully his finger is going to be healed up by then. He's got over a week still to get that shit taken care of, but... You know, you're looking at probably a Kluber game one, Tomlin game two, and Bauer hopefully game three. And then game four is kind of up in the air, see where you're at. Probably looking at Kluber coming back again on, on short rest. And he looked pretty good doing that the other day. Yeah, I, I, like, the, I like what he showed a lot. Um, I'll, I'll, I know we're going to do a World Series preview later uh, in the week or early next week. I don't think Trevor Bauer is um, – is going to be able to be available. Maybe that's the pessimist in me. I just, uh, from what I saw, when I saw his finger, the pictures that went out, thinking I was actually coming home for work or whatever, and I texted all, all you guys as well as some others, it was worse than I could have possibly imagined. Um, and I, it gave real thought to, I'm surprised actually personally he didn't solderize it, just knowing what we know of Trevor Bauer. With how bad that was, I'm surprised he didn't take it into his own hands and just do it in the hotel room or wherever the hell he was when he actually did it. I mean, here's the thing. He, he warms up so, so, so much. So I just thought it was amazing. He probably threw 50, between 50 long tosses and pitches before the game and two outs in. You know, that's when he decides to give out. So Well, see, I don't know if, if he's allowed to warm up with, with bandage on. Yeah. Okay. And if he is – then that makes sense. I would say in his off days, he's definitely throwing with the bandage or every other day he's throwing. I mean, he was somebody that throws every day. So naturally, this is going to take a lot longer to heal because he's just – he's not going to rest. And there's really no time to rest. Um, uh, and even even Tito was saying in an interview, uh, I think, after the game that, you know, he still has to throw even if he's trying to rest his hand. If he's going to be able to pitch in the next series, he's got to still be able to throw on the side a little bit. I mean, I – I think game one or whatever his bull t- bullpen game was be, would be. He's got he's got to throw without something on there just to just to test it out, test the waters a little bit. Yeah, I mean, who knows what what, what they're going to do? Obviously, uh, the way Merritt pitched, he's got to be an option to maybe give you four or five innings again if he can hold out. Well, if we play the Do- Dodgers, don't hit lefties. No, and the Cubs. Uh, you know who knows that? What, what what is the score currently right now? The score right now is one nothing Cubs in the bottom of the fourth inning. The Dodgers have a guy on second with one out, so it's still anybody's I, game. I would say though, this has got to be a must win for the Cubs. Oddly enough, even though yeah. they go back home for two, right? Oh well, yeah, you're staring at Kershaw in, uh, in Game Six, and, a, and four days rested. Yeah, and 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 he just dominated them in Game Two, so they can't feel real comfortable stepping in against him. Plus, if they go home down. 3-2, there's going to be some real tension in the air at Wrigley. Oh, the crowd shots are going to feel it. Fox is just going to have the camera zoomed in on all those poor souls. Yeah. And we've been there, folks. We, yeah. As Cleveland fans, we've been there. It's sad, but hey, 
It ain't us this year. And, and, and meanwhile, I'm watching this game, and I tweeted this earlier in the game. I'm not sure the Dodgers fans actually know this is a playoff game. I, I, I Oh, they're chilling. They're, they're just, just hanging out. Dogs. They just think it's mid-August. They're hanging out. Celebrities, rich people just chilling, you know, throwing back a couple of drinks, a couple of hot dogs. Just, I haven't seen anybody get out of their seats yet. It's the fourth inning. Yeah, they're so damn cool. I mean, they, they all just got there. Walking around with their VD and their drugs. I, I, I would love for the Dodgers to come to Cleveland games one and two, and it's you know about fifty degrees max at game time, and see how they like we that. Punch them in the mouth, exactly. And you know you won't get any Dodgers fans here. Oh no, no. You will have some Cub fans, but we will not oh, have that, any Dodgers that, fans. Yeah, that, that'll get crazy. But we'll get to that. We're we're all about celebrating what's in front of us right now, and we lit it up. So guys, what you know when I'm when I'm looking at the World Series here, we are. Uh, I, I'm really encouraged what what happened at the top of our lineup. I, I think Santana got hot. Napoli turned around the last couple games. Kip's using the whole field. He he loves to get pull happy. When you see Kip going to left field, that means he's locked in. So if we can get any production from the bottom of the lineup, because I mean let's be honest, we we can't keep dodging these bullets here where we win three nothing games and two two to one games. So we get Jose going a little bit and get you know. Coco hit a couple huge home runs, but get a couple people from the bottom doing some stuff. You know, I, I really like where our lineup's headed right now. I, I like the fact, too, both of these teams have some left-handed pitching, so it kind of it gets Rajay Davis in the lineup a little bit more. It gets Brandon Geyer some of the bats, uh, which is nice because both those guys, you know, Geyer had you know that good game against Price in the ALDS. Um, you know, Rajay, I know he hasn't really hit great out of a pinch-hitting you know, situation. Now he's coming for Naquin a couple times and Chris. But, uh, you know, I, I obviously like him against lefties. And, you know, Sean, you kind of mentioned it in our group chat uh, throughout the week about if we play the Cubs, we might steal 30 bases against John Lester. Um, oh, he'll so, run like hell. So getting Rajay Davis in there uh, against him will be will be nice, too. So, there's, I mean, there's definitely a lot with both teams. I mean, I, the, the, the crazy thing is I think it's it's a similar situation. Though. They're going to have to pitch really well, and, and they can't play from behind. And you saw the one time this postseason they did, it came unraveled a little bit against Toronto. You know, it was 2-1, it was 4-1, it was 5-1, and they, they, they couldn't stop the bleeding. Um, you know, but like you said, Jill, I mean, they're going to have to hit. They probably need to have a game or two in the World Series, especially if they play the Cubs, where they get to five or six runs if they're going to win four games out of seven. I agree, and, and the fact that we're talking about guys that are that haven't really broken out yet, I think that bodes well that we've even gotten to this point, and we're still – far away from reaching our potential as an offense. I think we're due to break out for a couple of games. I don't – I mean, all year we found ways to score runs. We Somehow we've been in one of the most productive offenses in the league despite not having a whole lot of star power. I think that's something that, that maybe we could get hot for a couple of games here, like you said, Luke. And the offense you, – you'd have to think the offense is going to have to win at, at least a game here some at some point. Well, and here's the nice thing, too. You've seen the Indians score a variety of ways in the playoffs. You know, they've had nobody on. Lindor singles, and, and Napoli hits a two-run double. They've obviously hit the home runs. Um, they've bunted guys over, hit sack fly. I mean, they've done a lot of things. There's only one time in my mind that really sticks out that they didn't get the job done with a guy on second base and, you know, nobody out or one out, and that was the so, that Nate went it, off with that double. Yeah. Well, no, we did it last that. night, too. We could have got the four runs. Oh, that's right. You're right. But it hasn't happened a lot. Oh, right? yeah. You can count them on your on your one hand. No doubt. But, uh, I mean, they haven't left a ton on base. So, luckily, they've been able to do that. But you're right. I mean, if they can get a couple guys on base and some of those solo home runs that they've hit, you know, turn into two or three run shots, I mean, there you go. There's your breakout game. 
it's so fascinating to watch, though, and this is why I love baseball, because the regular season is such a different animal than the postseason, because, you know, you have a team that's that you're putting together to last over the, the course of 162, and, you know, Tito's done a great job of kind of staying consistent with the platooning and, you know, the usage of certain guys, but when we get Andrew Miller... You, you, you knew in the back of your mind that you're getting him for the postseason. And the way you're able to use him in a postseason situation where you have built-in off days every two or three days to extend him to a two-plus inning outing, you know, on back-to-back days even sometimes, is such a huge, huge weapon. And it's, it's just a totally different animal in the postseason than it is during the regular season. It's, to me, the baseball playoffs are so... So much fun to watch for that reason because it's it's different kind of baseball than you're seeing over the course of the 162. Our boy Jay Arch just literally tweeted out, if we get on versus Lester, it will be a track meet on the bases. Yeah. And your guys are absolutely right. The way we're set up, we're actually designed more as a National League team, and I think that's why we, we fared so well this year in the American League. Speed, defense, pitching, get to the bullpen. And Tito in the playoffs just knows all the right buttons, and it's nice to have you know the easy button in Andrew Miller. But good lord, he just he just knows how to sequence things. He knows when to kind of go here, there. How many times did we second guess him? And what one or two times did it maybe not work out in the favor? And and in a couple of the cases, it was kind of fluky. I mean, for as, for as much as we lost Game Four, Kluber. It's basically a 1-1 game, and if Naquin's maybe positioned five feet up from where he was on a light-hitting left, uh, left-hander in Carrera, he catches the bloop, and they probably don't score. Yeah. And then we get into our big dogs in the bullpen, and it's not a 5-1 game. If we lose, we'd probably lose 2-1. Well, the other thing, too, is it's amazing how well Tito's been able to adjust to a, to a different set of circumstances. I mean, it's hard to believe that early in the season— we were all worried about their bullpen. Shaw was a disaster. Oh, no question. They were blowing games late. Now, then they get Andrew Miller, but they still had Carrasco and those guys. They still had three, four strong starters in that rotation. They didn't have to stretch any of their bullpen guys out. Well, then you get in the middle of September, you lose a bunch of your arms, and all of a sudden your entire construction of how you run your bullpen and how long guys are going completely changes. And I don't think that's like an easy thing to necessarily just immediately adjust to. I mean, the fact that Tito's been able to really – flip their script. I mean, this isn't how, not that, you know, obviously playoff baseball strategically is a lot different than regular season baseball, but even just the dynamic of none of their starters can go more than five innings right now, you know, other than Kluber because their stuff isn't good enough and having to finagle that bullpen. And you guys kind of hit on it questioning Tito. The thing is he, there's been a lot of times watching these games where I, I, I like I thought last night they should have left Miller in or giving him one more batter, or there's been other times where, you know, in the ALDS, I thought they should have kept Bauer in after he, you know, struck out the two guys after the home run in the fourth inning or fifth inning. But he's willing to take the guy out and a hit or two soon rather than a hit or two late, and that's, and that's really dividends. Yeah, that's experience. The other thing is, is, and you guys know this as coaches, there's not an there's not one ego. There's a couple quirky cats in that locker room, but there's not one single ego in that locker room. And that helps Tito immensely do all of the things that he's doing. You listen to these guys get interviewed, Rajay Davis, some of the guys that aren't playing. They could they could kind of check out or they could have some kind of just, you know, media speak comments. They're like, no, you know, Tito trusts. He's got a plan. He just carries. He, he's open. He's transparent with us. What goes on in that locker room is a direct, 
direct correlation to the years of experience at Tito, the respect that he has, his comment, you know, when he walked out and told Napoli, hey, you, we got to get in this 50-50, when Bauer's <laughs> bleeding out on the mound. Like, all of these things, he's flicking off the camera, he's lying about it, you know they're getting a kick out of that. <laughs> Tito's at the epicenter of this, and then you've got a guy at short that people feed off of, then you have a quiet leader in Kluber that everybody just, he's the horse, and then you've got Brantley, you've got Carrasco, you know, Salazar's been around. You've got these guys that are injured that aren't part of the team. Jabba Chamberlain got cut, and he's still tweeting about being part of the team. I mean, that's the culture that's being created here. And, and like I said, Tito is at the epicenter of it. Yeah, I thought it was cool, too. Even as much of a head case that Trevor Bauer has been in the past, you know, obviously things went south quickly in Game 3 with his finger and all that whole situation, but... I think in the past, the Trevor Bauer that I that I used to know would have would have hung his hat and pouted about it the rest of the night. Now he he wrapped his finger up, got back in the dugout, and was cheering on his teammates the rest of the night, which told me a lot because he you know, he hung in there and he stayed in the game mentally, even though you know he, it was obviously an embarrassing situation for him. But he he didn't get down about it. He didn't bail on his teammates. He stayed in it, and you know he, he's been a really really good teammate, and and I don't think. We saw that coming from him. It's just really neat to see all the tweets nationally about, you know, the, the best organization or, or the best guys around. Uh, they deserve this. Congratulations. To see that and knowing, you know, what we follow the team, you know, probably I think I may have watched 158 of the games this year and may have caught two on the radio and missed one or two yep. and, and hated missing those. We know the dynamic of the team, and we're not even in the room. So I can't imagine um, just how much respect they must command league-wide to get that type of a response nationally. We've talked about this before, too, among all of us. It's like you just feel like you, you can relate to these guys so well and what, they, what they're about and, and how much fun they have playing the game, how much fun they have being around each other. And everybody here on this panel has coached has played, you know, we remember those days. We, we know what it's like to have a team that you just love being around. We can kind of relate to what Tito's saying when he talks about how much fun it is to come to work every day and be around these guys. And we, that, That's a special thing that, that, you know, all of us as coaches, you know, we know that we can't take that for granted because that doesn't come around all the time. No, and, you know, you look at next year, you want to look ahead, you want to get excited, but the fact of the matter is next year you got expectations. Yeah. And things are different. So, Every year's it's 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 kind of own standalone, and and this is probably um, if it's not there, this is probably the the my most favorite Indians team ever. It's I love '97. I obviously you have to love '95. I, I I had a soft spot for '07. This past '07 last night, and. I always kind of thought those two teams were kind of the benchmark to, to the revi- uh, return of the Indians overall, and um, this is pushing the limits of it, truthfully. You know, at the risk of being blasphemous, obviously the Cavs winning the title takes the cake, and it makes things a lot easier on the Indians in a way because the, the, the pressure of lifting that curse is off of them so they can just go out and play. But I'm having a heck of a lot more fun watching this run than even I did the Cavs championship this year. Oh, there's no question. I, you know what? I, I don't want to – listen, I was excited the Cavs won, but I, I had a hard time watching a lot of the games. I mean, it's just – you want to talk about the chemistry. It, it, you know, I know they have fun and all that, but sometimes that, the chemistry with the Cavs is nowhere near what it is with the Indians. The Indians are much more fun to watch. They're more of a cohesive unit than the Cavs were. I, I mean, 
I, I don't know. He never really built to this, so it was three one, and we're all kind of like shit. I'm in San Francisco during like when this is happening. It's three game five. Like I'm expecting this celebration in the streets, and I'm elbowing people trying to get to my hotel. Well, and. and we won that one, yeah. and then six happened, and then I was like, oh, we're going to get burned again. Well, we're going to get burned again. It's and three it's games. it's four minutes though. to go, and no one's making a shot. It's three games, and the, the playoff run up until that point was just boring because it's the NBA, and it's not competitive. So it's it's a different dynamic for sure. Well, and it's nice, too, being on the underdog side of it. I mean, no one in their right mind, other than some of us here, thought we were going to beat Boston. You know, we sweep them, and then it was kind of the same thing. Toronto, you know, went through Texas and – hit the crap out of the ball, and then, you know, people thought they were going to come in and get us because, you know, our pitching was beat down, and, you know, they have the bats that they have. And it's going to be the same thing in the World Series, especially if they play the Cubs. No one's going to give us a chance. I mean, that that's just the reality of it. And there is a nice, you know, it's obviously a little sweeter whenever you're the underdog and you're able to kind of defy the odds and, and, and do the unthinkable. Facing the Cubs as heavy favorites, that's going to be fun. <laughs> And I also, I think it's easier on us as fans because we got one under our belts. We're almost playing with house money right now. Yeah. Hey, Cavs, where do you want one? If, if we got back-to-back, that, that that would be unreal. So I think it's just easier for us to sit back and enjoy it because we just got one after 52 years or whatever it is a couple months ago. The Indians close this out and, and win a title. They might have to do another Believeland Part 2 and just talk about 2016 it just as its own show. Yeah, you, you got a point there. Um, it hit. And then, you know, we got to culminate with the Browns. Will, well, our Super Bowl is still to come. It's just at the beginning of May or at the end of April. Who knows when yeah. the hell the crooked NFL changed their draft to this year. But uh, we still have that Super Bowl ahead, and we got two picks, and we'll probably have the number <laughs> one pick. So and, and let's not figure. forget, the, the, the Browns still have a chance to go in 16, which is special. It is. <laughs> it is. Kind of like Luke's fantasy squad. Hey, hey, easy, easy. We're, Luke and I got a barn burner this week. Our team, oh yeah, baby, awful. Fourteen versus thirteen. Well, we're going to have a, a recap or a preview pod coming up end of the week, beginning of next week. Talk tribe and team to be determined. And uh, I think you know all these these thousands and thousands of listeners across the world and Serbia included probably know which way the the four of us will lean. But it, maybe it'll at least we'll give them some betting tips and things to look at. Um, to our unbiased eye with uh, with Sharp Schilling over there. Yeah. yeah, since World Series, we we got to get on some props, but I'm I'm not I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate again or have the reverse jinx. So you already know which side I'm going to pick. If gonna, I'll say this, if that this guy forward. can walk and he's not getting a blood transfusion, we might have a guy throwing the first pitch that played in the movie that we played in the intro. So. <laughs> I would, that's a little sneak preview hot tip that I'm hearing across uh, across all the, the connections that I've got is we might be flying in a celebrity for the first pitch. He already tweeted out that he would be honored. Did he really? Yeah, yes. he did. I retweeted okay. it. Well, we'll, have to wait. we'll have to give a few days to see if that thing permeates and he hasn't died between <laughs> now and then. Follow us on Twitter and check out the retweet at MLB. Here's the thing. I'm so glad that... For a lot of reasons, obviously, but I'm I'm really glad for the sake of the podcast that the Indians won this series because I don't think I would have had the stomach to come on and talk about the World Series if we had gotten beat, you know, up three nothing and choked it away. 
Oh, it crossed my mind. But honestly, when I saw the Joey Bats hitting left-handed and I started to think that this is the perfect situation for this team, it's us against them. John Smoltz said it. He's never seen a team that feels more slighted. And in baseball, it's just it's quirky. There's all these different nuances to it. But a team that's pissed off and that plays super hard, it always has a way of netting out in the positive for those teams. Gentlemen, anything else to add before we wrap this up? No, go Tribe. Enjoy the next few days. Get recouped and, uh, I don't know, save up the money to get the drinking shoes going. Trevor Bauer, get well. Get well soon, buddy. We need you. New skin. (laughs) I I, I think we should have one more shout-out to Jose, right? Yeah, you're right. Jose Batista, where he at? And if if anybody saw this, uh, Twitter just blew up. Going after Jose. So we got a final shout out to Jose. Jose, that assault you took on Twitter was so bad, Art Bryles turned his browser off. <laughs> I wish we had the technology to dub out Kobe for just Joey, but alas, we don't have a big enough tech guy yet. We don't have a big enough staff, but uh, you guys keep listening, keep clicking that. Give the five stars on iTunes. Maybe sooner or later we can dub that in with with Jose instead of Kobe. (laughs) That's going to do it for us, for Luke Conley, for Shill, for Sean Z. This is Moner. We're signing off. We will talk to you before the World Series to preview the Tribe against the National League representative. And everybody rest up and get ready to go next week. We'll talk to you then. Tribe time, baby. Man, can you imagine how much fun this is going to be if they win the whole damn thing? (laughs) 